Hey there, it's Tom Ryan, founder and CEO of ICR. Before we get into the next episode, I wanted to ask that you subscribe to the show. It'll help us get even more unique and interesting guests on the podcast and in turn continue to educate management teams and the growing ecosystem that creates value for fast-growing private and public companies. And while you're at it, head over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star rating. Very much appreciated. This is a period of uncertainty, but if you have built a track record of credibility, if you have been uh, transparent with investors, no smoke and mirrors. I always say investors hate smoke and mirrors, right? Don't try to spin things. Tell people what it is. And look, if there are challenges, and in most cases, the challenges that we're talking about are not going to be unique to one particular company. They're being felt across the industry. And so in some ways, people expect to hear about them, but be credible when you're talking about them. Periods of dislocation can be challenging, but they also create lots of opportunity, and an experience guide can help point you in the right direction. I think a honest assessment of the short term, a realistic assessment of the short term, and being able to instill confidence about that long term and the prospects, I think those CEOs that do that well end up being far more credible and better withstand these periods of choppiness. Being a public company can be hard. Small missteps can have outsized consequences. I'm Tom Ryan, founder and CEO of ICR, and over the last 20 years, we've helped thousands of companies understand and navigate the stock market and the media. We'll demystify these and other increasingly complex stakeholder groups so you can focus on what you do best, building your company, and unlocking your true potential. This is Welcome to the Arena. This week, we're going to do something a little bit different. We're bringing you the first installment of a new mini-series, ICR Industry Reports. In addition to our usual guests, we'll profile some of ICR's leading industry experts who will share what they currently see in the market. The hope is that these bite-sized segments can tease out useful information to help you better understand certain industries. And I hope you enjoy getting to know some of the folks here at ICR, many of who have been immersed in their sectors for more than two decades. First up is Farah Soy, partner in ICR's Consumer, Retail, and Digital Commerce Group. Since joining in 2010, Farah has helped companies in this sector from mature public companies to private entities going public, and she helps them with their investor communications needs. Prior to ICR, Farah spent six years at the hedge fund Fine Capital Partners and was an associate VP at Citigroup Asset Management. I spoke with Farah about the trend she's observed in her space as they relate to COVID-19, inflation, and rapidly escalating geopolitical events, and how her clients are succeeding at telling their ESG stories. Let's enter the arena with Farah Soy. So all of my work experience prior to the 12 years now that it's been, had been on the buy side. I had been uh, in investment management at a long-only firm, at a long-short firm, and always felt that I loved the interaction with management teams. I loved getting into the weeds, learning about the business. But as you know, in investment management, particularly at the hedge fund, you very quickly sort of went on your way, right? There wasn't a long duration where these collaborations endured uh, for years and years and years and longer. So 
I had been fascinated by investor relations, much like you and your other co-founders had felt there was a way that companies, particularly smaller companies, could be far more effective with their communications. And as I was looking to make a career change and talking to people to ask about the landscape, consistently, I heard ICR, the name ICR come up. Those guys do it. They do it really, really well. And so that's how I found you all. Early 2010, I started having conversations with ICR and then joined the company in the fall and have not looked back because leave aside the cultural fit and the people, which is hugely important. But I just think the background, what we do for clients, which is the practice that I work in is investor relations, work in the consumer retail digital commerce vertical, that lens, that investor lens has been so useful. And I think clients have appreciated it. We're uniquely positioned to help craft or give them feedback on communications that are targeted to the audience that we were, right? That in a nutshell is why I believe we are good at what we do and why our clients value what we do. So it was the investment management background that I had before joining the firm. I would always go in to meet with CEOs and I'd say, listen, you know, you have like a thorny issue in front of you that you have to communicate to investors. I'd say, you know, you're sitting around the table figuring out how to do it. Who in the room has ever worked on Wall Street? as an analyst or a portfolio manager? And the answer is invariably nobody. And so that's really where the expertise comes in. Talk about the group that you're in at ICR broadly, Farah, and you know what kind of companies are uh, is your team uh, involved in? So it's consumer, retail, and digital commerce, and I love it. I mean, we're all familiar with brands. We use a lot of these products every single day, whether it's flooring for your home or floor and decor, whether it's stocking stuffers for your kids at Christmas at a five below. I mean, name it. We have soft lines, apparel, footwear companies, hard lines, broad lines, auto companies. It runs the gamut and it, it, it's fascinating. I'm sure everyone is shopping far more online. Whatever you were doing pre-pandemic, you're doing even more of that now in terms of online shopping or maybe less of that now if, if we finally have had the worst of the pandemic related disruption behind us. But, you know, digital commerce companies as well. A lot of DTC brands, that levels the playing field and they a lot of interesting developments and companies there as well. So it's not just traditional retail, which is why we're called consumer retail digital commerce versus 10, 15 years ago when it would have been largely retail. While ICR has a booming practice in many industries, our roots have been in consumer, which is far as field of expertise. This interview is taking place in the spring of 2022, and there are a number of elements affecting the sector right now, in particular, record high inflation, war in Europe, supply chain issues, and some lingering effects from the virus. I asked Farah about the biggest issues she sees her client base dealing with right now, and what companies should be considering from a stakeholder perspective when responding to these issues. 
I would say it's twofold. Let's start with the demand side of the equation, right? If we go uh, down the income statement line by line. I mean, you said it. We have inflation sitting at multi-decade highs. You're seeing it. The consumer seeing it most acutely at the gas pump. In addition, some subset of consumers, you're lapping the impact of stimulus from last year, which created a very good March and a very good year for a lot of our companies. It's a rising interest rate environment. If you think of the housing complex, the average mortgage rate has gone from, what, 3% at the end of last year to 5%. And you have the Case-Shiller Home Price Index up 20% year on year in February. So that has implications for affordability. How much of an offset, a strong savings balance will be with wage growth and employment levels? I mean, that sort of remains to be seen. And then there's the much-discussed post-COVID shift from goods to services, which you're also seeing playing out a little bit. So suffice it to say the demand environment is um, it's challenging. It's challenging for, for companies to predict, is what I would say. And then in addition to those demand dynamics, companies are grappling with supply chain challenges, right? It's, and, and those are across the board. So there's inflation in freight, in commodities, in wages. And so I would say that pricing power is more important than ever uh, for these companies. The customer demographic that they're serving is also really important. I mean, you have the lower income households feeling the inflationary pressures more acutely, certainly. If you were a big COVID winner, a big theme or topic that people care about is, look, how are you going to cycle those gains? I mean, we saw subscriber numbers from Netflix that proved to be shocking to many, judging from you know the number of downgrades and so forth. And then the channel dynamics, e-com, was that a huge pull forward of e-com penetration? And so if you are not omni-channel and you just have e-com, you know, how are you going to navigate that? Customer acquisition costs are, are rising. So all of these, I would say, create even more uncertainty about what the picture looks like going forward after what was an outstanding year last year, just from a business perspective for a lot of these companies. And so in this environment, companies that can demonstrate that, A, you know, we have the pricing power, we can demonstrate that the customer acquisition gains over the last two years have staying power and that those customers are seasoning and spending more. I think in this choppy environment, those are some of the ingredients that will help drive certainly at least relative outperformance uh, for companies. These are sort of broad brush high-level comments that I would make. And it seems to me that the real approach in in what we do is helping companies talk about the future. You know, if you have a, a stock that's uh, bombed out, that's one thing. But if you have a stock trading at 30 or 40 times earnings, you talk about things differently. In your experience, in a choppy environment where you're getting measured in 90-day increments on your earnings, the best CEOs that you deal with, what are they great at? Look, most, I would say, quality companies, if you have a business, let's say you're a structural winner in your industry, the industry is attractive for a whole host of reasons, fragmentation and other reasons, more likely than not, you have some set of long-term goals out there. At some point, you communicated what you thought this business was capable of achieving from a top-line perspective, from a bottom-line perspective, from a returns perspective, you painted a long-term picture, three to five-year growth targets. Now, You know, this is a period of uncertainty, but if you have built a track record of credibility, if you have been 
transparent with investors, no smoke and mirrors. I always say investors hate smoke and mirrors, right? Don't try to spin things. Tell people what it is. And look, if there are challenges, and in most cases, the challenges that we're talking about are not going to be unique to one particular company. They're being felt across the industry. And so in some ways, people expect to hear about them, but be credible when you're talking about them. What challenges do you view as temporary? Why? and then bridge to that better future. And then you could still talk about, I mean, you're, as you're navigating these cost and near-term demand challenges, what are you doing to better position your business for a normalization that will come, whether it's six months down the road, a year down the road, it will come. And so how are you progressing on each of those initiatives and positioning the company to be a long-term winner and to achieve those long-term targets that you articulated. So I think a honest assessment of the short term, a realistic assessment of the short term, and in being able to instill confidence about that long term and the prospects, and that confidence has to be instilled with supporting proof points, right? It's not can't just be fluff. I think those CEOs that do that well end up being far more credible and better withstand these periods of choppiness. Yeah, you have to be realistic. There's nothing wrong with being really optimistic about the next five or 10 years, but in any given year or quarter, you just have to be very matter of fact, which is against the gut instincts of some types of executives. And, and I think that's where coaching comes in. Another question I had for you, far is on ESG. ESG to me now is it, it is doing the right thing, but it's also about attracting capital. There are ETFs that are organized around ESG investing, and I think the ESG story and the investor story are merging. What are your companies doing as it relates to telling that story because it's complicated? Well, the smaller companies, I would say, are further behind in terms of having the resources to do everything they'd want to do. Even the production of that first sustainability report is a huge endeavor for these companies. And I'm going to give Lyndon a plug because I think we have, you know, that was an amazing high end building out that governance practice at ICR was a brilliant thing to do. That would be Lyndon Park, head of ICR's Governance Solutions Group. You may remember hearing from him on a previous episode of Welcome to the Arena. Introducing Lyndon to my clients, helping some of these smaller companies who don't have the resources internally to navigate this on their own, having him and his team help with not just crafting the disclosures, you're not going to reach an end state in your first year. It is a multi-year journey, for lack of a better word, in terms of disclosures, in terms of, of taking the actions and then reporting on them, and then getting out to investors and telling them exactly what you're doing. While the lines are blurring, some companies, ESG is there. I mean, if you're in the resale business, we have a furniture company, LoveSack. That's core to who they are. Absent that, if it's not core to the company, it's still not being discussed as much on earnings calls in our sector as you would see in other sectors, a little bit more at analyst days, but I fully expect that that will change. Companies will say more about it as they're doing more about it and as they have made strides developing the supporting disclosures. I think smaller companies, to your point, they look at Coca-Cola and JP Morgan and these huge mega caps who can spend, you know, millions of dollars on glossy reports for ESG. The thing is, it's really just about creating targets over a long period of time and hitting those targets. It's no different than a financial target. People don't expect you to be a superstar in, in something when you're just moving forwards. One thing, far, I know you'll agree, Wall Street loves to see businesses like in a certain box, 
some group is either in favor or it's out of favor. If they're looking through some of the companies that we work with, what do you think investors kind of miss? Is it like, oh, this was a SPAC and SPACs are evil and like we're going to leave it for dead? Or is there something in the industry where investors tend to overlook it where actually for like a great stock picker, there's really value in the marketplace? Well, I, I mean, I have, hate to plug one company or the other, but I do think right now we're in that phase where investors are saying, oh, you know, that bucket, if XYZ was a COVID beneficiary, then I'm selling it, they're going to have trouble anniversarying those gains. And I think in some cases that's a mistake. Certainly I have instances of companies where a large percentage of the demand is recurring in nature. So absolutely, yes, they were a COVID beneficiary. And this is a company in the pool business that I'm talking about, but a 80% of the demand is recurring demand. And so to separate those stories, you have to dig in and you have to do the work and not paint with broad brush strokes. But I think, you know, if you're a bottoms up investor, you use these periods of dislocation. I mean, it creates fertile ground, right? To buy quality businesses when, you know, the baby's being thrown out with the bathwater. So I would say, I mean, I grew up in investment management very much bottoms up and also spent a number of years at a value shop. And so this is a very exciting environment. I mean, it's depressing to see choppiness and, and, and stocks go down, but it also creates great opportunities for those who are doing the work and an opportunity to buy very high quality businesses that for whatever reason are mispriced and, and being misunderstood. Times of dislocation can be an opportunity for companies to seek out new shareholders and re-energize, if not reinvent their narrative. That's where Farah and her group comes in. They can be candid with management teams about their strengths and weaknesses, push them to scrutinize how they talk about their business, and help them unlock equity value through transparent, conservative, and integrated communications across all stakeholders. Welcome to the arena. We're working really hard to bring you exciting guests and great content. If you found this episode insightful, subscribe to the show on your podcast app and leave us a five-star rating. The more the show grows, the more interesting voices we can have on the podcast. And in turn, that should demystify a lot of the stakeholders around public companies and soon-to-be public companies. Thanks for listening. Thanks again, Farah, for joining me today. The work she's doing with her clients and ICR's Consumer Retail Digital Commerce Group is world-class, and I'm sure she'll be back on the podcast as trends in the market continue to shift. This is Tom Ryan. We'll see you next time back in the arena. References to specific stocks are not intended to be recommendations for specific trading behavior. Comments presented on this podcast are intended for informational and educational purposes only and do not represent opinions or recommendations on whether to buy, sell, or hold shares of a particular stock. All investors are advised to conduct their own independent research into individual stocks before making a trading decision. In addition, investors are advised that past stock performance is no guarantee of future price performance.